Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. More than fat or calories, the nutritional information that consumers are most likely to look for on food and beverage packages is sugar. With a survey conducted by Cargill finding nearly two out of three consumers aim to avoid it, and the majority also reportedly bypass artificial sweeteners. Consumers' focus on and desire to reduce sugar was on the rise long before the pandemic, but when COVID-19 revealed just how vulnerable our collective health could be, many people took a more proactive and preventive approach to well-being, a shift that turbocharged the sugar reduction movement. But, as is often the case with consumers, when it comes to food and beverages, many were unwilling to compromise the sweet taste of sugar or sacrifice its technical functions like browning, mouthfeel, and bulking, sending many manufacturers scrambling to renovate and innovate low- and no-sugar options. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Carla Saunders, Senior Marketing Manager for Cargill's High Intensity Sweeteners line, shares consumer trends and insights about sugar reduction and sweeteners from proprietary research, including how consumers balance and evaluate healthy versus indulgent products. She also shares how consumers' attitudes about food tech and environmental sustainability are evolving and influencing their views about sweeteners and other tools for reducing sugar. Saunders explains that consumers' current focus on sugar reduction is part of a larger phase that she describes as eating and drinking with a purpose, which includes a wide range of physical and mental health benefits that shoppers are looking for from food and beverages and which manufacturers must carefully curate to meet in an ever-shifting prioritization of those values. Every single product on the shelf has some benefit, mental health, physical you know, attribute that consumers are looking for and they're actively buying based on those attributes and they're trying to solve their health and well-being with food and beverages more so than in the past. And it's really been a huge driver as a result of COVID. I mean, COVID really opened the door to consumers' um, minds that, hey, you know what, maybe I can actually get you know, help my immunity and help my health be better through foods and beverages. More so in the past, it was through supplements or medication. Don't get me wrong. Supplements are still a huge area, growth, super high growth. But this element of food and beverages driving their food and or helping with their food and health and wellness, sorry, is, um, is so clear and ever present. And yet, um, really, when we take a look at all the things that are going on, consumers really do rank sugar reduction as the number one way to make food and beverages healthier. And what's interesting to me, um, my background is um, I have some CPG brand marketing experience, food service marketing, and then um, some other industry. But what I didn't know now, what I didn't know then that I know now is that sugar reduction in the consumer's driver, consumer drivers uh, from the ingredient label um, are more important than the claims that are on the front of the back. And so that is really fascinating. And when we started to unpack, 
you know, these consumer insights and these learnings from this proprietary research that we do to understand consumers, that for me was a big aha. So I'd spend a lot of my career focused on the three second rule of getting that consumer attention to get them to pull my product off the shelf. Um, and don't get me wrong, design and trial is certainly the way to brand growth. However, um, really consumers are looking at that, the overall, um, you know, the content and um, the sugar in it. I'm not saying that claims or those front of the pack, you know, claims don't add value because they do. They certainly do, especially if you think about trial and picking things up. Um, and especially if you have, you know, great source, good source of protein, we did a claim tracker and that's a number one claim across all demographics, psychographics, um, age groups, et cetera, parents, non-parents, that is the number one claim. So don't get me wrong, those claims really do move the needle when it comes to purchase impact, um, as well as no artificial sweeteners or natural sweeteners or natural flavors. Those are all still very compelling claim, more so than some other claims. But um, this idea of the Nutrition Facts panel and, um, and the changes that have been made, I think is just increasing awareness, right? So consumers um, are aware of what that label looks like. They're more aware of, I mean, sweeteners are always under scrutiny. And so this is not a new thing, but it's now it's being more accessible for them to know more so what's in that package than what is not. According to a survey of more than 3,000 respondents conducted by Cargill, when consumers look at product labels, they aren't just looking for whether there is or isn't sugar or how much. They're also scrutinizing the type sweeteners. Drawing from Cargill's consumer research, Saunders explains that most consumers want products with lower sugar content, but some opt for foods and beverages made with natural no and low calorie sweeteners while others prefer full sugar products but just enjoy less of them notably cargill's research found only one in ten consumers say that they would buy products made with artificial sweeteners and 76 percent listed artificial high intensity sweeteners as a top ingredient that they want to avoid this is notably higher than the 64 percent who listed sugar as a top ingredient they avoid you really think about how consumers are thinking about different sweeteners, you know, the more aware of a sweetener they are, um, or they're more healthy, they think something is, the more likely they are to buy it. Um, and that seems very common sense, right? It's like, okay, yeah, if I'm more aware of it, I'm more likely to buy it. Or if I think it's healthy for me, I'm going to purchase it. Or if I don't think it's healthy, I'm not going to purchase it. That seems very common sense, but we actually have the statistical data shows that there's a 94, 95% correlation between those two elements and purchase impact. And so we really dig into um, different ingredients, both all of those ingredients that are within our portfolio um, and ingredients that are not. We take an agnostic viewpoint of the food and beverage industry, and we test different naming conventions that consumers often see on the label. And naming really does make a difference. So you mentioned honey. Of course, honey is going to be at the top. It's definitely um, strong awareness, um, strong um, association with healthy for me, very positive health impact. 
Now, if we start unpacking that, if you go down the list of sweeteners, um, it's really fascinating because we do test um, dextrose, we test fructose, we test sugar, we test beet sugar, we test cane sugar, as well as some other ones. But um, when we look at that data, you know, in the industry, what we know, if you're in the food industry, sugar, 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 right? So any different form of that, of that sucrose equivalent, sucrose, sucrose, fructose is very consistent. Cane sugar is the exact same molecule as beet sugar, but consumers are not aware of that difference. So you have sugar listed on the label, just plain sugar, um, and it has a negative purchase impact. But once you put cane or beet in front of that ingredient, so it's cane sugar, consumers are like, oh, okay, yeah. And it gives them a positive purchase impact they think differently about that ingredient. And so we see that pop, we see that difference pop again and again, that labeling really does matter. Um, and then, so that's like nutritive sweeteners. So we think about those as caloric sweeteners. And then if we look at um, non-caloric sweeteners, so you're looking at your stevia sweeteners or your monk fruit, your allulose, right? Um, those sweeteners really are in that positive to neutral zone because there is a health halo. Consumers are more aware of them, especially when we start using, you know, different naming conventions like monk fruit sweetener or stevia sweetener um, that just seems to help consumers be more comfortable with them versus using stevial glycosides, which is the technical name. Um, so there's a lot of variations that can happen um, when consumers see different ingredients and how they show up and label. And then it, it really, and they think about them differently, even though they may be exactly the same thing. While most consumers may not know that, as Saunders put it, that sugar is sugar is sugar and how it's digested in the body is the same, they do know and want non-caloric sweeteners and even recognize them by name. I would say that the majority of consumers are familiar with stevia. And the reason being, if I look at the sales data and I look at the amount of categories that use stevia and the length of time that it's been on the market, it's well known. Um, I think products, retail products made with stevia account for $4.8 billion in the grocery, in retail and year over year, or they, we have a five-year kegger of 15% um, dollar growth. And unit growth is, is right along there. Of course, you have some inflationary pressures, but that unit volume is still very strong compound annual growth. And so for me, that indicates that, you know, consumers are aware and they're purchasing products that have stevia in them. I'm seeing strong growth rates also on monk fruit and allulose and erythritol. So some of those other non-caloric sweeteners, I think um, they're still emerging. So it does take a while for ingredients to be launched, for manufacturers to use them, for them to approve them, for them to start developing with them, and then for them to be launched. So I see this, you know, I would still call them an emergency, emerging and growth, growth zone. Um, but I do think, you know, consumers are getting savvy, and especially those consumers that, um, you know, the more specificity you have about your consumer group, um, the more savvy they get. 
As consumers learn more about different sweeteners, Saunders says that stevia is gaining popularity, especially among younger shoppers and families. Parents with children, um, they actually have higher purchase impact and higher acceptance or awareness, rather, of of different sweeteners than the rest of the general population. Same goes for um, millennials, which also often have children, right? So they have a higher purchase impact when it comes to stevia, um, stevia products made with stevia or stevia sweetener on the label. But if you work in this industry, there's always the, yeah, that's what they say, but what are they doing, right? And so, the sales volumes, the growth rates that I'm seeing of products made with um, non-caloric sweeteners, artificials included, right? I'm seeing those that the growth in those areas, specifically when I dig into stevia, the products made with stevia outperform the rest of the category. So let's say I look at beverages, for example. When I look at the growth rate of products made with stevia, Versus products made with all other sweeteners, stevia is, you know, two to three times faster, grows three to times faster or two to three times faster than products that have other sweeteners in it. And when you get into the world of supplements, that increases from, you know, two to three percent to about five percent. So to me, there's a strong case to be made about what consumers are saying what they're doing, and then how manufacturers are responding, right? I mean, you're seeing no added sugar on the label. You see a lot of zero, you know, a lot of X brand zero popping up there and um, getting strong trial. And I think that is, you know, it, it has its own momentum and, and its own drivers that, of course, help consumers become more aware of these different um sweeteners that may not be caloric, but could help them achieve some better levels of sugar, reduce sugar in their diets. While sugar reduction is on the rise, the move isn't perfectly linear, according to Saunders, who says consumers and as an extension brands aren't all in on avoiding sugar, but rather they're looking for a balance that allows them to cut back in some places, but still indulge in others. This gives brands flexibility in their use of different sweetener solutions to bring a range of products to market. It is fascinating, too, from the research that we have. So, yes, sugar reduction, increase of stevia sales and monk fruit and all this stuff like that it absolutely is true. But or and and we are also seeing indulgence increase. So. It is not one or the other, it's an and, right? So it's, you know, so when we talk about consumers eating and drinking with a purchase or eating and drinking with a purpose, you know, they know that just they're buying things for a certain need state, right? What is that benefit of that product going to do for me in this moment that I need it to, right? Um, and maybe you know, making some balance choices also gives permissibility into those other indulgences. So I don't know that it's, um, I don't think it's a disconnect. I actually think they're core. I think they are, they um, are really well suited hand in hand. And, um, and that's what makes this really fascinating. I think for a longest time, um, 
for the longest time, I think that people believe that you had to go to zero sugar. You have to go to zero sugar. It can't have any sugar, you know, like this, you know, back in the day when we had snack wells and that was more about trans fats, but zero sugar, like there was this whole, like real strong movement to remove a lot of ingredients from products. Um, and to benefit people's health. And I think to some extent that still exists. However, I'm wondering if there isn't more of a different approach where consumer packaged goods can just, you know, make some small adjustments, start to, you know, shift their sweetener systems, get, bring consumers along in that journey, much like we did with sodium reduction, right? What we're focused on at Cargill is what is the best solution for um, the brand for the company and for what they're trying to deliver for their consumers, which is always great taste. And our portfolio is, is full of natural sweeteners. That's really where we play. And, um, and we have a lot of experience beyond our portfolio in helping find solutions to maybe reduce artificials by adding in some natural, right? So again, those step changes. So um, we look at it a very holistic way and, you know, I am very careful to say, yes, there sugar reduction is absolutely an area that is always worth looking at. And indulgence also has a place in, in room in our lives. When thinking about where it makes sense to cut back on sugar and where it may make more sense to lean into indulgence, Saunders says that beverages are a segment well-suited for sugar reduction, but that confections and baked goods are more difficult areas in which to cut back on sugar. Going to that idea of um, indulgence versus um, you know, sugar reduction and where, where does that seem to make the most sense, um, I... Um, when I look at the different categories, you know, beverages is a logical place where, I mean, it's such a, I mean, it's a massive category. If you look overall in total, what, um, the size of prize that beverages is and just, I mean, there's like 13 different subcategories. And so you're going to see a lot more variation and, um, variances in there. So I do think, I mean, sugar reduction is well-placed and well-suited in that category. Um, I think some of the limitations have been for those other categories like confection or bakery, even cereals, right? There have been, um, there have been challenges in trying to take out some of that sugar. So sugar is just more than sweetness, right? It adds bulk, it adds mouthfeel. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of functional attributes that sugar adds to products. I mean, in baking, it's brownie, right? So getting that really great color. Um, and so there's a lot of attributes, function like technically, that come along with sugar. And once you start taking that out, you have to solve for that, right? You have to solve for oh goodness, it's not as sweet as it should be up front, or it doesn't, you know, maybe bitterness has come up or maybe now sourness has come up or maybe the viscosity or how my experience with um, the, what I'm tasting and drinking isn't what I'm used to or what I expect. And so that's where the challenges come in when we're talking about sugar reduction from a technical standpoint. 
getting back to the category, that's why some of those categories have been slower to adopt and enter into and really, you know, take off when it comes to sugar reduction, because the application of taking out that sugar is very challenging. And, um, and so, you know, bakery confection, those are some areas that, you know, we're seeing now start to take now start to take off a little bit more. And a lot of that can be attributed to the technology and the new next generation of sweetness that's available to companies to formulate with things like, um, if you think about stevia, um, there's a lot of different variations of stevia. There's the traditional, um, you know, the initial stevia, it was a roboticide A. Um, and all that is, is just, you know, the the easiest part of the leaf to extract and was used in the multitude of product launches when it was first launched. And as the industry has moved forward, we've discovered new and better and cleaner tasting molecules in that leaf. And we're able to get to access those and make, you know, those next generation sweeteners that taste better, that allow you know, sugar reduction in different and more challenging applications, you know, and so you're able to see some momentum and movement in different categories that really weren't able to play before. Um, bakery is one of them. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like when it start when I start to think about different categories, that's kind of how I start to synthesize what are the attributes that sugar does? What is the functionality that that sugar delivers? And then what are the components that need to be true in order to achieve elements of those attributes in a sugar-reduced version? Successfully reducing sugar without sacrificing taste is not a matter of simply swapping in one sweetener for another. The technical functions of sugar also must be taken into account, notes Saunders, who called out its role in mouthfeel, bulking, and browning as examples. As such, she said, Cargill works with ingredients beyond sweetener's line to create a full experience that will appease consumers. Some of the ingredients that Saunders says she's most excited about to see complementing the sweetener line are pectin, low-calorie polyols, fiber, and a new lower-sugar chocolate. If you think about things like pectin, Pectin is an amazing, it's an amazing ingredient. And um, we, that can be added um, to increase the viscosity in the mouthfeel. I'm seeing that being used in beverages, which is really fascinating to me. So I'm really excited to see kind of where pectin goes and how developers, food scientists start to think about, okay, how can this help offset some of the bulk that I need or the mouthfeel that I need. Um, polyols are another great example. Um, I think about erythritol. Um, that is such a great natural sweetener. It actually comes, it's naturally occurring. So we actually have it in food that we eat today. Um, and we're able to make it in a way where, you know, we can add it into commercially available, you know, products and balance out some of those sweetness attributes um, 
some of the flavor components and really get that bulk back. So if you think about drinking a full calorie soda versus drinking, or maybe just think about even an orange juice and the viscosity in orange juice versus a fruit drink, right? They have a different mouthfeel, a different texture. So that's what we're talking about is that, that sensorial experience. And so erythritol, along with allulose, you know, they can solve for some of that mouthfeel. And we definitely have that within our portfolio. And there's, I mean, there's other things like um, soluble rice flour. That's, that's a fascinating product that we just launched here um, um, in the recent past that can also, you know, um, incorporate different attributes. Um, and you know what, I think the other cool thing that about um, what we are trying to achieve is we're even just launching a brand new chocolate. So it's called Sweetie. And it, this chocolate, you can achieve up to like from, I don't know, like 15 to 30% sugar reduction in beverages just by using this particular ingredient. And so it's, it's still chocolate, right? But because we're always looking for how can we help you know, companies deliver on what their promises for their consumers, knowing that consumers are looking for um, sugar reduced products, right? So, you know, we do look at the whole system and it's not just our ingredients, right? And I think that can be a misperception too. It's like, oh, you just want to sell your ingredients. Well, I mean, that is, I mean, that is what a business does. <laughs> we sell ingredients, but, you know, we really want the best solution and, like I said, we don't sell artificial sweeteners, but if it's a system and we're trying to bring down, maybe we're trying to take out an artificial or just reduce the amount or shift the order of ingredients on the label. And we can do that by incorporating stevia. We know the different elements that they impact with the taste. And then, you know, we can help the team adjust that and kind of get to those solutions faster just because we have that deep technical experience. So it really is about trying to help our customers, you know, get to market faster and deliver the taste experience that their consumers want. Looking forward, Sandra says she is excited about the potential for technology to help advance the next generation of sweeteners and other ingredients to help with sugar reduction. She says she's likewise excited about consumers' increasing openness to the role of technology in food production, including its ability to help them balance their desire for products that are healthier for them and the planet and which are accessible. When I think about what's next for sweeteners and sugar reduction, you know, I really think that this idea of consumers' openness to technology is really going, you know, to expedite the ability for manufacturers to provide next generation solutions. So what I'm really thinking about is a study that we partnered with um, Hartman on um, looking at fermentation and looking at consumers' attitudes towards you know, technology and technology to solve the environmental issues that we're facing as a society, food scarcity, food deserts, right? I mean, there is this tension of, I want my food to be as natural and from nature as possible. Yet, given where we're at, I also understand that technology can be such a great asset. And <clears throat> it is a tension. And 
I see that, you know, technology is really what's going to open the door to some of the you know, even more, you know, even more accessible solutions at a more cost-effective manner that provides more sus quantifiable sustainability impacts. I mean, I really see that being the, the next era. Um, and I'd say that's true for sugar or sweeteners. I think that's true for proteins. I think that's true for a lot of different um, food categories. And, you know, how... So two, two examples, one, um, you know, we do make, um, fermentation is one of those great technologies. It's such a fascinating field. It's very complex and, you know, we have leveraged fermentation to create, um, our Eversweet, which is a RebM, RebD, and it is, you know, one of the best cleanest tasting, uh, versions of Stevia out there. So we have that. And then, you know, what we found is that, so talk about these challenging applications, you know, Stevia had some, you know, there was still some linger that was occurring, even with that RebM, um, but it was also hard, it wouldn't stay in solution. So it was hard to make things like concentrates or, you know, um, it, you know, there are still issues. Like if you think about fountain beverage, there's not a lot of fountain beverages that have stevia or natural sweeteners in them. And that's just a technical, you know, that was just a technical attribute that just was hard to solve. And, you know, because we continue to do so much research and our R&D scientists are just so skilled, we discovered um, a botanical extract that when combined with Eversweet actually um, changes the effect that that ingredient has on the rest of the system. And what I mean by that, it amplifies your orange flavor. So maybe you don't need flavor maskers or modifiers, which can save some costs. It cuts off that linger. What's even more impressive is it actually increases its solubility and dissolution rate. So now we're able to actually make a concentrated syrup that has is only made with stevia because we're using this newest ingredient called Eversweet and Clearflow, EC1 as we call it, and we're able to get to those higher concentrated levels that we just couldn't tap into. Stevia couldn't go there before, but now it can. And so that's the type of solutions that, you know, I think fermentation led us to Eversweet. We're still trying to solve for these other problems, which helped us look in other places. We discovered the botanical extract, and then we started playing with it and noticing that combining together provides the best outcome. So it's going to be things like that, um, that just continue to come into the market that are just going to be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this opens a whole new category that did not even know that it could be possible. As sugar reduction options increase and improve alongside consumer acceptance of technology, Saunders says she's optimistic about the future. But she also advises companies not to lose track of the basics, which for food and beverage is taste. If something has a great nutritional profile and a positive sustainability story and even a great price point, but it doesn't taste good, it won't sell. So, as with most aspects in life, moderation and balance are key. With that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again in the future for another installment. And to ensure you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. 
Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.